Hey, it's so good to see you tonight. Thank you for being here on our first Wednesday worship, and we are delighted to be able to finish up a series we began uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the series is on the end times, um, and uh, tonight we're going to take a walk through Revelation, and so um, I hope you've got your Bibles with you. Uh, There'll be some scriptures on the screen, and um, uh, you should have got a copy of some notes as you came in. Um, And I will tell you right away, um, I've given a lot of um, notes right up front, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time explaining some things that are just sort of written out up front so I can spend my time a little bit more in some of the details toward um, the latter part of the notes. Um, uh, As you noticed, hopefully you've noticed that the the room is um, sort of uh, decorated, the halls are decorated, getting ready for missions festival starting this Sunday, so I have to tell you. If, uh, if you're a regular part of North, you know how special Missions Festival is. If you've never been a part of um, Mount Perrin North Missions Festival, it is unlike anything you've ever seen. We don't show, we're not trying to get bleeding hearts or crying babies or anything. We're going to celebrate all God has done all throughout the world. And it's just a real party that we get to talk about all that God is doing through our partners. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're getting ready now. Most of them have arrived. Uh, they are, Pastor Brett uh, has them right now away at a retreat, and they're uh, getting together and being ministered to right now, and um, I just can't wait for that. And you can help kick that off by doing a couple of things. Saturday morning, 8 a.m., we'll have Saturday prayer here, and uh, it's going to be prayer for our missions festival and for our missionaries. Uh, so that's 8 a.m. this Saturday. You can be a part of that. Our missionaries will be here for that, and uh, we'll, we'll kick off our missions week with our prayer. And then on Sunday at 9.45 and 11.15, um, there's going to be, um, uh, obviously, the worship service. But at the very beginning of it is our Parade of Nations where they come in and we welcome them home. So my advice to you, whether it's 9.45 or 11.15, is get here early. Get in your seats. You don't want to miss a minute of that. And then there'll be a reception following that where you get to talk with some of them. And they will actually, if you're a part of a life group on Sunday morning, they'll be in some of those life groups sharing some of the great things God's doing as well. So I hope you will make yourself available to all of that. Are you ready to talk about Revelation tonight? All right, so you've got some copies of the notes. If you're at home, you're watching online, you can download those notes from the website or you can download those um, and follow along in the app as well. So uh, as we go through, I'm just gonna kind of walk through Revelation and um, I'm looking at my time right now. I'm gonna try to cover this in about 30 to 40 minutes or so, okay? As you know, if you look, you've got a lot of notes there, okay? So uh, all I can say is buckle up and let's go, all right? All right, so let's set the stage in Revelation just so you know some background information. The author of Revelation is the Apostle John, one of the 12 apostles, disciples that followed Jesus um, for consistently for the three and a half years. He's actually one of the inner circle of Jesus' inner circle, which is Peter, James, and John. He tells us uh, that he is the author. The audience, or the person that it's, the people that it's written to, are the seven churches in Asia Minor, And many believe that not only, once again, prophecy is both sometimes immediate or soon and also something that is distant. So you've got seven literal churches that are in Asia Minor, but also these are seven symbolic um, uh, churches symbolizing the attitude of people in churches today, not just necessarily a church, but a segment of people in churches today, where it talks about, um, and, and several of them, he's, he's, 
chastising them. He's, he's exhorting them. Jesus is calling them to come back and come back and be sincere and pure in this. So it's written to them, but it's also Revelation 1 and 3 tells us it's written to everyone to hear, that it is to be read and there is a blessing along with reading that. The location of the writing is the island of Patmos. Um, Patmos is a small island that, that uh, Rome used at that time as a prison. So it was basically, uh, think more distant Alcatraz. Okay, it's, it's an island, and the only thing there, the only reason it's there is to excommunicate and put political prisoners out there where they suffer and where they are far away from Rome. And so this is where he is a prisoner for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. There is a literary style in every writing, okay? So there's three of these here. It is a letter. It's particularly written as a letter. It is prophecy. The Bible tells us that. Revelation tells us it's prophetic. And then it is also a vision. So in this, he's writing a letter prophetically concerning visions that he's seeing. Okay, so all three of those are happening simultaneously in that. So it's a vision of Christ. It's a vision of heaven. It's a vision of future earthly events. And it's a vision of the new heaven and new earth in Revelation 22. So number five, the purpose. Remember this. So I want you to, if you've got a pen, I want you to circle number five there, okay? Because when we get over to um, judgments, seals, trumpets, bowls of wrath, the great multitude, a woman and a dragon, a beast and a false prophet, you need to come back to this moment, okay? It is written to comfort and encourage Christians living under intense persecution in an anti-Christian society. Now, that's written back then, and more and more the world is turning to this right now. Here in America, if you think, if you think that we have a high level of persecution, you, you, sh you should talk to our missionaries. The, the, the persecution that is seen around the world has not made it here yet, but eventually it will. And this is written back then and now to those who are being persecuted in a secular or unchristian society. So letter B, I want you to see this, is that the Bible is not just some random collection of books. The Bible has 66 books written by so many different authors over um, a 1,500 to 2,000 year period, and all of it all of them written separately, worlds apart, times apart, all of these things, and it is a seamless story of the redeeming love of God for you and me, his people. That what links he will go to, the links that he will go to are unlimited in order to save you and me so that we might be with him forever. And so Genesis begins with the revelation of who God is. And then as we further get along in the Old Testament, there is a revealing and a further revealing of who God is. And then we see the person personified of, of God in Jesus Christ. And then the rest of the New Testament points back to the Gospels to explain those things. And in Revelation, we see Jesus once again, not as a suffering servant, not as a lamb of God, but as a soon coming king. So in that... You have a start of the revelation of God in Genesis, and you have an end of the revelation of God in Revelation. That's not a full revelation, because Paul tells us that one day 
We're going to stand and see Jesus face to face, and then and only then we shall know him as he knows us. That's when the fullness of the revelation of who God is is going to be finally realized by you and me when we stand face to face. But as far as the writing of the Bible, there's this culmination of God's redemptive plans. And I just want to give you a couple examples. They're in your notes. In Genesis, he gathers the waters called seas. In Revelation, there is no more sea. There's no more dividing. In Genesis, there's the first Adam with his wife Eve in the Garden of Eden to reign over the earth. In Revelation, he is the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ, with his bride, the church, in the city of God to rule over the universe. In Genesis, there's the creation of the sun, moon, and the stars. In Revelation, there is no more day nor night, for God's glory provides the light. In in Genesis, the tree of life was denied to sinful humanity. In Revelation, the tree of life yields fruit for the healing of the nations. Can can I just pause there for a second? I see so many people that that worry in Genesis where they they sinned and God sent them out of the garden and God God wouldn't give them eternal life. And and they think that that's such this great spot. Do you know that's the compassion of God that because they ate of the tree of uh, of fruit of the tree of good and knowledge, knowledge of good and evil, because of that and they sinned against God, God sent them out of the Garden of Eden, in order that they might not eat of the tree of life because if they ate of the tree of life, they would be forever in their sin. He sends them out so his redemption can come and then you see the tree of life once again for those who've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb to live forever in his presence. This is not punishment from God. This is the grace of God preparing us for eternity. Number five, Genesis is cursed. In Genesis, man is cursed. But in Revelation, there is no more curse. Genesis, Satan appears and torments humanity. But in Revelation, Satan is cast into the lake of fire and tormented forever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. That's right. In Genesis, it ends with a saint dying dead in a coffin. In Revelation, it ends with all saints living eternally to rule and to reign with Jesus Christ. It is God starting and God finishing his perfect work for your life and for my life, from Genesis to Revelation. The second part I want you to see is we're going to just sort of look or survey the scene in this, all right? So, um, and it's broken up into three different sections of this, and some of them are not lengthy sections, and some of them are. So, Scripture tells us that in in Revelation chapter 1, and especially in verse 19, it says, what you have seen. So, it's describing something that's taking place, and we'll go through that in much greater detail in just a few minutes. He's saying, what you're seeing right now, this is what this is about. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is what is now. This is the message to the seven churches in Asia Minor. He says, this is what I see now. These are the problems. These are who I'm commending and rewarding for these things right now. And he says, if there's a problem, he says, repent, turn back to me so that you may inherit eternal life. And then from, uh, and, and then in, um, what will take place is for the rest of it. So chapters 4 through 22 is all things that will come to pass or will take place in the future. And so we're going to walk through those. And so um, you've got a lot of notes. I'm going to give you some things, and you can take these things down as fast as you want. If not, um, if you say this is too fast for me, you can go back and listen to it again and slow it down and slow me down, okay? You can listen to this on half speed on a podcast if you want to, okay? And I will talk like this. So you can write it down, okay? So 
but I have to get through tonight, okay? So some of the things that are going to take place, let's talk about those. The first thing is this in chapter four is what is, could be a picture of the rapture, okay? So um, in, in verse, uh, chapter four, verse one, let me read that to you real quick, all right? Sorry, I've got the mark at the back of Revelation for something. All right, so in, in verse one, it says, after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I heard, I heard had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what, make, what must take place after this. Now, I, I need you to know something. In, um, this is a potential um, reference back to the rapture that we talked about on Sunday. I'm not going to go into that. You need to listen to Sunday's message to talk about the rapture. The reason why there's a potential link or, or looking back to this is two things. It talks about um, come up here is, is using a phraseology, which is almost like come up, snatch up, you know, to be caught up with them. And then it also mentions a voice like a trumpet. Both of those terminologies are very, very similar to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 that we talked about, where Jesus, uh, where Paul tells us that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there's similar thoughts in that. I will tell you this. Do not base all your theology on rapture on this one verse is a possible reference, but theologically speaking, you've got a lot stronger stuff that you go back to on Sunday that really established the scriptural basis of this. But what you see is the church is present in chapters one through three. After this moment, the church is not present again until chapter 19 again, when it talks about the bride of Christ, okay? So in that, and what's taking place in the middle of all of that is the tribulation in this. And I told you Sunday, I believe that the church will be out of that. There will be people who will be saved during the tribulation. They're called tribulation or martyred saints. The Bible refers to that. We will join together with us after the tribulation is over with at the second coming of Christ when all the dead are raised to life to come before for judgment for the Lord, judgment for good and judgment for evil in that. So the second thing we see is there is a picture of heaven um, in chapters four and chapter five there. The third thing we see starting in chapter six is the tribulation. And so this is what I want to spend my time on because this is what I know what you want to hear about. So I'm going to try my best to um, understand some of the, help you understand some of the things in the uh, tribulation period in this. The first thing in the tribulation is I want you to see the judgments that are there. Okay. So I'm I'm kind of going through chronologically, but I'm also segmenting these. So I'm looking at judgments, and then we're going to look at some of the special tribulation characters in that. So there may be, you'll, you'll notice that some of these will overlap and, 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 and uh, interlock as well. So um, in the judgments, there are seven seals of judgment. So seven seals will be broken, and as they are broken, judgments will happen in this, all right? And so the seven seals um, uh, we see is there is, in the first seal, there is, and I'm not, I don't have time to read all the passages to you. You've got the scripture references. I expect you to go home and read, all right? So, the, but the seven seals are this. There is on the first uh, seal, there is a horse, a white horse with a rider on it, and the rider is that of one with conquering power. So it's given authority through 
power, war, those types of things um, in, in a judgment. So it means that there is, uh, there is war, there is skirmishes, there are difficulties that are taking place there. The second seal is a red horse, and that rider has been given the authority to take peace. Now, we don't know exactly how that is, but we know that because of this seal, peace will begin to leave the men's and women's heart from mankind that are left here on this earth. Remember, as we talk about tribulation, we believe the church is going to be out of that, and this is God's wrath. If you weren't here Sunday, here's what I need you to know, is that God is going to take the righteous out, and he's going to pour his wrath out on the unrighteous that remain in that, okay? The third seal is a black horse, and its rider is one that is there to deliver famine and plagues across the earth during that. The fourth horse is a pale horse, and its rider stands for death. And the Bible says he will kill one quarter of the earth through the sword, through famine, through plague, plagues, and through wild beasts. I just, I just need you to know the tumultuous time that's going to be taking place. There is going to be a rapture that takes place where I don't know how many are going to be taken of the percentage. I can tell you the George Barna study tells us that of Americans that uh, 75% or so, kind of um, 25% are Christians according, like theologically Christians. They believe in the 10 sort of orthodox beliefs. Jesus is the son of God. The Bible is the word of God. They live by these tenets, okay? There is about a quarter of the Americans that are atheistic or agnostic, or they just don't live and they're not sure that that. And then there's the middle 50% that literally sort of, dip their toe into the water of Christianity sometimes and live in the world some other times, and they're back and they're forth, okay? So I don't know if it's a quarter of people going to be taken out in, uh, or if it's less than that that's going to be taken out during the rapture, but of whom remains, another quarter is going to be killed um, during, the fourth, um, during the fourth seal as it's being, um, as it's being uh, uh, delivered out. The fifth seal is martyred saints, Okay, we see this where there are martyred saints, those who have given their hearts to Jesus during the tribulation, they've been killed, and they're asking the question of the Lord. So he's given a window into heaven to look, and they are asking the Lord, saying, how long till you avenge us? How long till your justice reigns out? And the Bible says that there's a voice from heaven that just says, a little longer, a little longer. The sixth seal is a great earthquake where the sky is blackened and the moon becomes blood red and there are, for lack of a better word, meteor showers um, that are happening in the heavens that cause great fear on the earth. And then there is the seventh seal. Now, this is where you can make a note of this, so some of this overlaps, okay? The seventh seal, when it is unsealed, actually has seven trumpets. So the seventh seal is seven trumpets. So you've got one through six, then you've got seven, and then you've got seven under that. Does that make sense? So it's going, the seventh seal is going to unfold in seven stages as seven trumpets are blown from heaven. So the seven trumpets are this. At the blowing of the first trumpet, the Bible tells us that there's going to be hail and fire coming from the heavens. At the second trumpet, there's going to be a meteorite um, uh, that's going to strike, a meteorite, nuclear bomb, something is going to strike the sea 
okay? And when it strikes the sea, it's going to just absolutely be um, cataclysmic. The third trumpet, there is going to be a shooting star, but a, it's, a, it's a, a star that is going to, uh, as, as, they, as John saw it, a star that is going to collide with the earth. We don't know if, the, as he's seeing this, this looks like a meteorite or something, but it is going to be something on a level that has never been seen before. The fourth trumpet is going to blow, and that means there is going to be a third less light, so in the daytime. So the sun is going to not yield light for a third less than it is right now. So I just want you to think about that for a second. Think about what it play, what it, how it plays on the psyche of people, but think about the ecological effects that are going to take place in that. When there's not as much sun going, it affects livestock, it affects plant life, it affects everything. So all of this is going to be taking place as, this, as the fourth trumpet is blown there. The fifth trumpet, um, and as the, uh, uh, yeah, um, as the fifth trumpet is sounded, this is called the, there are three woes out of the fifth, the last three of the trumpet is three woes. So if you hear all these things, these are all like joined together. So, so the, the three woes are trumpets five, six, and seven. Anybody confused at this moment in time, right? So I'm trying to let you know, a lot of these things are taking place and they're overlapping in this. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you in a couple of moments, there are some occasions where everything is going chronologically and all of a sudden there's like a parenthetical pause of explanation that's going on where it's not necessarily in a chronological order, but it's explanatory in nature in that um, to make it even more confusing, right? Yeah. So the fifth trumpet is going to sound and there are locusts with the sting of scorpions um, and the sting of scorpions that are so bad that they are going to last for five months. The Bible says that the men and women of the earth are going to cry for something to take their lives during that time. The sixth is where the four angels of justice are released, and they will wipe out a third of mankind. This is not overlapping. This, or this is not repetitive. There's already been a rapture. There's already been a quarter of mankind and now a third of mankind that is left. This, this, is, this is tribulation and wrath that is unheard of and on an unprecedented level. This is why I'm telling you, when I, when I talk to you on Sunday about the church being removed from this, this is not the church being removed from hardships. Jesus did say we'd have tough times in our lives. This is though God's wrath being poured out. And we have not been appointed to wrath but we've been appointed by grace as the sons and daughters of the king. The seventh trumpet is a picture. This is not punishment, but a picture of God's temple in heaven, and it is opened up, and the Ark of the Covenant is seen in God's temple in heaven. So in these seven trumpets, so you've got seven seals, and the seventh seal is actually composed of seven trumpets, and the last three trumpets are three woes. Everybody got it? Okay. And then, then there are seven bowls of wrath that will be poured out. Now, notice the jump, okay? So you got the seven seals and the seven trumpets. They're all going there together, okay? Right together, all right? And then you're going to have seven bowls that are going to be seven plagues. 
That takes place later. So I've grouped them here in judgments, okay? But this is not chronologically with everything else going. So you've got chapter 6 through the first part of 8 for the seals. You've got chapter 8 all the way through chapter 9 and part of chapter 11 in the trumpets, okay? And then you have the seven bowls. That doesn't start until chapter 15. So I have not grouped this chronologically. I've grouped these so you can see the judgments and then you can see the characters, okay? So as you get, just notice the chapter and verse references there as, we, as we're going through this, all right? So the seven bowls are seven bowls of wrath or plagues that are poured out. And these are, um, as they are poured out by the angels, the first bowl is painful sores that are going to appear on all of mankind where there is absolutely no relief that no one can get. As a matter of fact, they keep looking back Later on in the fifth bowl, as it is poured out, they are still crying out and cursing God because of the first bowl that has been poured out. That's how bad they are. The second bowl is where the sea turns to blood and it kills all the sea creatures. So it it says sea in in the passage, okay? So I don't know if this is all the waters of the earth, okay? I don't know if this is all the seas or if this is a particular sea that's being poured out. We do. It just says sea there. So I, I, I cannot tell you whether that's plural or not. I can just tell you what it says. But we do know that if it's, it, what, if it's one sea, then it's all, it turns to blood and all the creatures are killed. And if that's not enough, the third plague is happening where the rivers and streams are turned to blood. Once again, I don't know if that's all of them or enough where it is causing fear and anxiety with everyone. Because at some point, you've got to have drinking water, um, and, and there's still time that has to pass at this point, okay? And then you have number four, the sun scorches men and women with fire. The Bible talks about that the skin of people will actually be seared by the sun because it's so bright. And people will beg that their lives will be taken but they will not be allowed to be taken. You say, man, this is heavy. It is. And so I want to remind you, this is written to comfort and encourage Christians <laughs> living under intense persecution. This is not meant to encourage someone who is living far away from Christ. This is scary stuff. It's real stuff. But God cared enough to let us know what's going to happen. Amen? Amen? And also cared enough that every person living away from him could come to him and not have to undergo this. The fifth is darkness. The Bible talks about that it's darkness that you cannot see, that it'll be so dark that people will gnaw and gnash their teeth at at the frustration and and the fear that's going on. The sixth is where... Um, everything dries up from the east of the Euphrates River. So uh, over in the Middle East, it's always been one of the key rivers of of the biblical times. It dries up, and it dries up particularly for one reason, for the kings of the east to be able to come and march their forces against the Lord at a great battle that'll take place. And of course, we know the Lord is victorious in that. And then the seventh bowl is an earthquake. An earthquake so severe where mountains and islands disappear. It will level mountains, and islands will disappear because of the earthquake. So you understand the, the implication is, is that it will crumble mountains, but 
because of that and because of the earthquake in the sea and the, um, the tectonic shifts of the plates of the earth, literally, literally, tidal waves, tsunamis will cover places that once inhabited people as islands. This is on a scale that we've never, ever seen and you've never, ever even thought of. So, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls with three woes thrown in there. What the Lord is trying to tell us is what Jesus said. This is a time of suffering that has never been seen before nor will ever be seen again. And he said, pray that you will escape and stand before the Son of Man. What what he's saying is this, more than anything else, this is a time where you don't want to be going through God's wrath. So make every plan, make every plan. Follow him now so that you can follow him and be with him forever. Now, in saying all of that, there's now, I want to just talk to you about some of these special tribulation characters that are in this. By the way, I didn't ask you up front, how many of you have read the book of Revelation? Let me see your hand. Okay. How many of you have never read the book of Revelation? Can I see your hand? Okay. All right. I didn't mean to scare you that bad. You're going to go home and read it right now. But listen, the, the whole thing is, at the end of it, Jesus wins, God wins, and we who are with him win, okay? So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid at all. All right. Let me talk about some of the special tribulation characters. This is not all of them. But this is some of the ones that stand out and um, some that I just want to explain. The first is the 144,000 that's found in chapter 7 and also found again in chapter 14. Um, Revelation tells us these are Jewish evangelists who will preach with God's protective hand to prevent them from harm. The Bible actually says he will put a seal on their forehead where they will not be harmed, nor shall they be killed until they accomplish everything they're supposed to do. So these 144,000, there are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel that are represented there. How it all works, I don't know. This is exactly what it tells us it's going to be. Um, And so I don't think this is symbolic because it's very, very specific in this. I think it's very literal that um, it is Jewish evangelists who are preaching to the world that Jesus is not just the Savior, but he's also the Messiah. That's hugely important because God still has a plan for his people. Amen? All right. So then there is, in number two, there is the great multitude in chapter 9. The great multitude are those who accepted Jesus during the great tribulation. And and the reason I want to show you this is remember there were the martyred saints that that said, how long, O Lord? And so in chapter 9, here's what happens in verses 15 through 17. No, I'm sorry. 7, excuse me, thank you. Um, So the great multitude in white robes, here, it tells us that they are the ones who have been martyred. And then watch what happens here. It says, then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? And I said, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, I love this. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. 
and the sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Even though they have been martyred for the sake of Christ in the most difficult time, there is a blessing coming upon them that they have waited for. So these are, this is the great multitude. The third is the two witnesses. Now, so the two witnesses, I talked about, actually talked about these on Sunday, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here. If you haven't listened to Sunday's message, I want you to go back, listen to Sunday's message, if you will. But um, uh, it talks about um, they are witnesses that will do great and miraculous things and they will preach and then they will be murdered and then the world will rejoice and they will be raised to new life and they'll be transported into heaven to be with the Lord and the world will be stunned by this. There's more information about that. Um, you read that, of course, and then I explain a little bit more on Sunday, this past Sunday from that. So number four is the woman and the dragon. Okay, the woman and the dragon. So this is one of those that it's not taking place in chronological order. This is one of those where it's almost a, a summation of things that have happened in the history of the redemptive plan of God. This is a parenthetical vision that's interrupted the chronology of Revelation, okay? So who is this? This woman, um, so there's a woman, there's a child, and there's a dragon who is chasing the woman and trying to kill the child. The woman is Israel of the Old Testament, Okay. Um, and some people say it could be also um, the church of the New Testament, but we go all the way. This is, this is basically going all the way back to the redemptive plan of God. So Jesus, born of a woman, out of the nation and the tribes of Israel, most people believe this is, um, see, the woman is the Israel in the Old Testament. The child is Jesus, and the dragon is Satan. We know for sure the dragon is Satan because chapter 12, verse 9 tells us that that's who it is. So this is not chronology. This is sort of looking back at the redemptive plan. So God's redemption was that he would choose a people that did not deserve to be chosen, a people that was not great, but a people that was small, and he would choose them to pour out his favor on them. He would choose them to send his son through so that no one would give them credit for it, but everyone would give God glory for it. And the, the enemy of our soul, Satan, has been attacking Israel and attacking the people of Christ and trying to kill Christ and his message ever since then. That's the redemptive plan of God. And it's symbolically shown in this vision that's seen in chapter 12. So this is a parenthetical. The woman is Israel of the Old Testament. The child is Jesus and the dragon is Satan. Everyone still with me? Okay. All right, number five. This is the beast and the false prophet. The beast is a composite of four worldly kingdoms. As you read about the beast and you go back and read through this, you will see that it's got the symbolism and the makeup of four different types of animals in this. This is, this is, this is going back to Daniel's prophecy, okay? And what is seen in that is the four major world powers that was the greatest world powers that had ever been at the time of the writing of Revelation, which was Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Those were the greatest empires, and they ruled in succession until the birth of Jesus Christ, all the way, obviously, through the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the birth of the church and the persecution of the church. 
So what it's saying is this, is this is a culmination of the greatest world empires and the greatest political systems and ruling systems you've ever seen from a world standpoint. The, the, the beast is a composite of those, and the beast is what is known as the Antichrist. So the beast is the Antichrist, which means the Antichrist is going to rule, and he is going to be stronger, more powerful, more cunning than all of the other empires that have ever existed. All of them. And then there is the false prophet. The false prophet is, excuse me, I've got a bug on my notes. This is revelation coming alive with spiders and stuff. I'll just stand here for a minute. And... All right, the false prophet. This is one who rises up and literally has control of a one-world religion. How that takes place, it's all speculation, but we know it's going to take place. We know there's going to be alliance of political alliance of one-world government, and there's one going to be a one-world religion. I don't know how that all takes place. No one actually does, and anyone that says so is just speculation, and I'm not saying the speculation is wrong. They just don't know for sure, but God does but we know what's going to happen. We just don't know exactly how it's going to happen. The interesting thing about this is, in the false prophet, there is going to be the false prophet trying to prop up and also propagate the, the, the beast, the Antichrist. So he is going to support the Antichrist, and he is going to push the Antichrist. And what is a picture of, the Antichrist is a picture of really perfect political power. Not a perfect man, but the ability to take politics and ruling of nations and, and putting all of that together and being more clever and more powerful than ever has been. The false prophet is a picture of religion coming behind it. And it's, it is, it is a, a picture of an unholy alliance of politicians and religious leaders coming together to accomplish worldly things. So, so do you understand? So th this, is, this is what's happening. The false prophet is going to do that. He's going to consolidate power for the Antichrist, and he's going to do it by means of religion. And he is going to be the one who is going to suggest and implement that every single person on the face of the earth will show their allegiance and worship the beast the Antichrist, and in worshiping the beast, they will also take the mark of the beast, which is 666, okay, which the Bible tells us is the, is the, the number of, of man or incomplete. It's, 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 I don't know if you've, um, I, I think of the uh, number 666, and I just think of, uh, have you ever done rounding stuff? I mean, it's the worst rounding number you've ever seen, all right? It just continues on. How many of you when you ever get, how many of you have ever, ever, you don't like 666 so much, you've ever been to the store and the total was $6.66 and you go, round it up, you know? <laughs> this, this is a number and the number is symbolic. We don't know what the mark's going to be, but it is symbolic that it is the highest effort of mankind, but will never achieve the completeness of God. Okay? And it's culminated in the Antichrist and the false prophet. 
all right? And those who receive the mark of the beast will be able to buy and sell, but that means they have worshiped the beast and they are forming an alliance and worshiping him. Those who do not will probably be martyred for the sake of Christ because you will not be able to buy, sell, trade, anything without that mark. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. This is gonna be required. So number six is the scarlet woman and the beast. Now, let me, let me tell you what this is, okay? Um, because there's a lot of um, confusion over this, all right? The scarlet woman is indicative of the spirit of Babylon. And Babylon encapsulates all that is unholy. Scripture often refers back to Babylon. It's the, the, the unholiest of, of man-made things and man's desires. It even goes through and talks about the evil things that have been done in the spirit of Babylon that the woman does. John seems to be actually a little stunned in his words as he tries to describe the severity, the complexity, and the broadness of the sin that this woman is committed in the spirit of Babylon. So it's this, it's this sinful spirit. Um, I have heard teachings, and I got to tell you, I, I've heard teachings with people trying to put um, a, a face or a people with, with this scarlet woman, okay? Um, I, I need you to hear me. Um, what, I don't know what you hear or whatever. I do not believe in any way, shape, or form that this is referring to the Jewish people in rejecting Jesus Christ. God's plan is for the Jewish people as well. He's going to reconcile those things in the end, okay? And a lot of people might get confused. And some of you kind of go, why would they think that? Just don't even go there, okay? I just, I've heard that. Man, I've heard people that talk about the Roman Catholic Church. And you, you don't know. All we know is what Scripture tells us. It is the spirit of Babylon which is the spirit of man ruling in an unholy way and living counterculture, really, to the ways of God. That's what the Scripture says. So I'm not going to speculate any further than what Scripture says. Amen? That's what it says. Okay. So number seven is this. It's Babylon and man's new world order. This is where, as the judgments are being poured out, the world is going to mourn as the symbolic city of Babylon falls. And they're going to mourn because it's a loss of power, the power being political, religious, economic power, and the loss of control of the spirit of Babylon over the earth. They will mourn that. And it's coming at the end of the tribulation period. So the world is going to mourn the loss of what they thought was the answer but it never was the answer. Christ has always been the answer. Number four, this is the wedding feast, okay? So this is, um, this is as, we, as we go down um, in uh, sort of the uh, events in tribulation. So we've been through the tribulation, and now we've, we're getting down to the next thing, which is the wedding feast. So once again, I don't believe that this is chronological here. I believe this is a parenthetical thing that's taking place here, okay? Um, and what I mean is this. Uh, this is fully descriptive 
of the worship time with the elders, the 24 elders worshiping the Lord. It's fully descriptive of a wedding feast that is being taken place by the bride of Christ. Um, this, is, this is probably not something that's taken place right after the tribulation. This is probably taking place during the tribulation as the bride of Christ is being caught up in this wedding feast because at the end of the tribulation is the second coming. This is the reason why I don't think this is in chronological order because the wedding feast doesn't happen before the second coming of Christ. And the second coming means coming to this earth, not rapture calling us up, but coming to this earth for judgment and for reigning, okay? So this is happening uh, probably during the tribulation. The fifth thing we see is the second coming of Christ that I just talked about. And the Bible says that he's going to be a rider on a white horse um, that's coming in, and he's coming in to judge the world and conquer the world at that moment in time. The sixth thing is, is that after that happens and he comes in, there is the millennial reign or the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. Now, something happens that I'm, I'm going to... I'm not one to question God, but I still go, I still don't know why this is going to happen. At the end of the thousand-year reign, Satan is bound during the thousand years. At the end of the thousand-year reign, Satan is going to be loosed again and is going to try to take people with him and come against the kingdom of God again, and he's going to be put down once and for all. I don't know why he's going to be loosed again. I wish I could give you a good explanation. I've heard people try to give good explanations, and I just don't think they're good explanations. So since the Bible doesn't tell us, I'm not going to try to tell you. I'm just going to tell you it's going to happen. And God has a reason for allowing it to happen in that moment in time. But there's the millennial reign of Christ. Satan will be loosed for a time. Satan will be defeated. And then there is going to be, number seven, the great white throne judgment. And this is where the righteous are going to be judged to live forever with the Lord. The wicked are going to be cast into the lake of fire. Satan is going to be cast in the lake of fire, never more, never more to be seen again at that moment in time. Number eight, New Jerusalem. This is the promise that's happening. And I, I hope you'll go and read Revelation chapter 21. I, I want you to read that. As, as in all of Revelation, as John is describing what he sees in all of Revelation, but even right here when he talks about New Jerusalem, I don't think his words can properly give us the descriptions that we need. I think his words are, are describing everything that he can comprehend, but I think they far they fall far short of that. When he describes New Jerusalem, he says that the foundations are precious gemstones, priceless. He says the gates of the city are carved and formed out of a single pearl. That's hard to conceive. And pearls were priceless back then. And then he said that the streets would be paved with what? Gold. The most precious commodity we have economically on this earth is pavement in heaven. He 
tries to describe it, and then he, then he describes it, as we said earlier. There's no sun, there's no moon. For the Lamb of God, Jesus, will light up the day and light up the night, and there will be no more need for sun or moon. And I don't think his words even touch. I think he does the best he can to describe them. I don't think they can compare and touch what heaven is really like. But this is the reward that awaits you and me. And then number nine tells us about the eternal reign and the end of it is the closing commands and instructions. Now I want to take the next couple of minutes. Um, Because I've gone through all the judgments, it's easy for us to start thinking about bowls and trumpets and seals and, and, and um, beasts and false prophets and all of that. I want to take you back to chapter one, which is the most important chapter in Revelation because it finally reveals Jesus as he really is. We finally get a glimpse of who he really is. So in, in the, the last part of that, I want you to see the Savior in all this. The subject of this whole thing is Jesus Christ. I want to read to you verses 1 through 3. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what soon must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this property, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. The source is God who's sending the word, the servant is John, and the status is blessed for all who will read this. The second thing I want you to see is the Savior himself. His definition in verses four and five, he's defined like this. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. The first thing you notice is he is the revelation of God, the faithful witness. He says, I want you to see Jesus. I want to define who he really is, the faithful witness. He's a resurrected God. He's the firstborn from the dead, and he's a ruling God, the ruler of the kings of the earth. We're finally getting to see Jesus as he really was. We got a picture of him as a suffering servant in the Gospels, but we get a picture of him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords in Revelation. The second thing I want you to see is his distinct work and what he does. Verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I want you to see the work he has done in the past, He's given us redemption. Look in verse five, it says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Think about that. The only one worthy of our praise is the one who has freed us by his blood. He is the God of the present in the sanctification that he gives us. Verse six says, he's made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and father. And then the future, he talks about his return in verses seven. It says, look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Only Jesus, only Jesus 
is the one who gives us redemption and sanctification and is gonna return to get us. Number three, you see his deity. In verse eight, it says, I'm the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. Number four, you see his deliverance. It says in verse nine, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now, notice where John was. He was on the Isle of Patmos, abandoned because of the word of God and the testimony. And on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. I want you to see this. Nothing can stop the presence of God and the word of God from being with you and speaking with you no matter where you are. He is abandoned on an island far away from anyone else. He is being persecuted for the cause of Christ and yet the presence of God is with him and the word of God is speaking to him and he not only is receiving, he is giving out. Can I just tell you, I don't care where you are or if you feel like you're on an abandoned island of Patmos, You're not so far that the presence of God can't reach you and the word of God can't move you and the word of God can't reveal to you God's perfect plan for your life. Number five, notice his description. And I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. The imagery here, is listed, I listed it for you in his description. He is the head of the church. He is the perfect and last high priest. He is full of wisdom and purity. He is a just judge. He is a good shepherd. He is the word of God, and he is the glory of God. It epitomized in Jesus Christ. He describes it. Listen, I, I know, I know, listen to me. I know that Jesus is your savior and I know that Jesus is your friend, but let me tell you something. He is above all. He is ruling over all. He is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. Amen. And lastly, notice his declaration. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. I want to read to you as we end our time and go and observe Holy Communion, the very last words Jesus speaks in this book. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs and those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears this say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, the Lord, last words, yes, I am coming soon. And John said, amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. As we observe Holy Communion tonight, I want you to remember He said, I was dead, but now I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and to Hades. What we do when we remember him in communion and we remember the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, we remember what he has done, we remember what he is doing, and we remember what he promises he will do is to come again. Hopefully you received some elements when you came in tonight. If you did not, Um, We want to get those to you so you may observe communion with us. If you didn't receive any elements, will you please raise your hand and let um, any of our uh, worship center hosts uh, get those to you really quickly. Just hold them really high so we can get those to you. If you'll go ahead and take those elements, please. And uh, as you take those elements, um, if you would go ahead and prepare those, there's a clear seal at the top of those elements, and that will reveal the um, the wafer. And then there is uh, another seal that will reveal the juice. Um, And as you do that, um, just hold the elements and we're going to partake of those all together. If you, a great time to be a servant to somebody else. If you notice somebody struggling with getting theirs open, reach over and help them, okay? Because we all want to observe those together. So as we prepare the elements physically, I want us to prepare our hearts spiritually in this song as we worship together right now and prepare. Set this up together. You give life. give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is everyone to please stand with me as we observe Holy Communion.
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. He says, on the same night that the Lord was betrayed, he took bread and after he blessed it, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Would you remember the body of Christ? And in the same manner, he took the cup and said, this cup is my blood in the new covenant. Take and drink as often as you do in remembrance of me. Would you remember the blood of Christ? For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You look back and you look forward because the same one who kept his promise back then is the same one who keeps his promises now and will keep his promise to come and take us back with him. Amen. Let's worship one more time together. Let's sing it like we mean it right now. Sing all the earth will shout your praise. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing.
Amen. Aren't you glad you serve a soon coming king? Amen. Amen. So glad you were with us tonight. Thank you for your attention to the word and the way that you worship tonight. I really hope you'll be a part of this weekend with uh, Missions Festival. Don't forget, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, we've got prayer here for our Missions Festival and our missionaries. And then both 945 and 1115, man, get here early so you can see the Parade of Nation. And then after the 1115 service, there'll be a reception up in the gym uh, where you'll get a chance to talk to some of our missionaries as well. Man, I'm excited about it. I hope you're excited about it too. Before you get out of here, let me bless you tonight according to Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. God bless you folks. Love you. Have a great remainder of the week.